0: Welcome to the Aviator Zone Podcast. Aviator
1: Zone Podcast
0: with your host, Captain Felipe Santiago. Flying stories, career advice, and a lot of hangar talk. Let's talk aviation. Welcome back to the Aviator Zone podcast. Um, today we have a very special guest, Will Sturge. Thank you for coming to the show. Thanks for having me. So Will Sturge was one of our uh, one of our first students that we had at the school, and uh, he came with a big dream, and I think that dream is getting closer to reality than than we we hope when it was back then. So um, we'll uh, we do have to start with a little disclaimer though uh, before we get started on the show. So uh, as a disclaimer, the opinions expressed by Will Sturge and myself do not. Necessarily reflect the opinions of the Department of Defense, the Air Force, or any of its components. Um, that should give you kind of a hint of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, well, tell me a little bit about your story. What what got you into aviation? What was it that kind of made you become a you know want to be a pilot?
1: So the whole dream for aviation. I don't know. It was just a natural desire to want to fly. Whenever I was a little kid, I think the first time I flew was when I was like eight years old to Washington D.C. and it was just the coolest experience ever I remember looking out the window of the American Airlines flight, you know, seeing all the, the the buildings and cars grow slightly smaller and I thought it was the coolest thing, you know, I was in second grade. And after that, I went home, I bought a little flight simulator for my computer, had no idea what I was doing. Had a great time with it, you know, over the years learned and you know, desire for wanting to be in the Air Force. My grandfather flew for the Air Force during Vietnam, so a little bit of family heritage there and you know, as I got closer towards uh, the end of my high school career, about to graduate, I said, you know what, this is what I want to do. And looked into ROTC at the college I was going to, and I've been there ever since. And that's kind of where the time that you
0: came into our flight school, right? Somewhere when you were...
1: Yeah, so I went into ROTC without having any flight experience because I didn't really know what I had to do yet. Um, I started my flight training when i got home the first summer after my freshman year with you guys got it Uh, so that was that's when i first started
0: so going back to a statement that you said and and this kind of has been ringing a bell in my head is flight simulator we make so much fun about flight simulators and like people at home and then a lot of people don't want to do it in flight training they don't want to use a sim but a lot of people start their aviation in flight simulator like they you know they start that that kind of sets the seed and then from there on they begin to actually go on a career so do you think Based on your experience, that you had some advantage of using Flight Simulator to being a pilot, you know, to learning to fly? Like, did it
1: help at all? Like, so certain things, um, in terms of having an idea of, you know, how to handle an aircraft, what direction to push the, the yoke to go up or down or left or right, or what the rudders do, I felt like that helped. But once I actually got into the plane and was doing maneuvers <laughs> and all that stuff, that all went out the window. You know? yeah. I think I think everybody thinks that you can do everything in the same and you can't. There's a lot of things
0: you can do in the sim, and with good guidance is really good. Um, but at least it I, I'm happy because it brings people into aviation because it, it kind of gives them accessibility to to to, you know, experience flights. And then that kind of led you to come in through our doors and get your license. So you came back from summer and you said at that point now you had some counseling, I'm sure. And somebody told you, hey, get your license because this is going to help you achieve the goal that you want to do. Right. And that goal is to.
1: Well, sorry, I What was your
0: What was your goal? Like- oh, uh,
1: yeah, so my my goal is to be a, a pilot for the Air Force. You know, the dream is to be a fighter pilot. Uh, I want to fly F-15s, but really just anything that flies for them. How about a drone? So we actually have a preference list when we rank what we want to put on our careers. And, you know, my whole interest in flying is I actually... I like being in the plane and flying. So of, they're, of the... Um, the four flying jobs, um, drone was number three on the list. I had, of course, regular manned pilot as number one, and then combat system operators as uh, my second preference, just because I want to be in the plane. I just think it's the coolest thing actually being up there.
0: I agree with you. I would never be able to just, I mean, don't get me wrong, if they call me and said, hey, you want to work from home, and I fly the simulator, I fly, uh, you know, from my computer or at my home office while the airplane is flying around the country <laughs> and collecting the same paycheck, I could do that. No, nah, but I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. Being in the airplane and flying, is there's nothing like it. So for those of us that don't know, a combat system officer, is that what you said? Uh, yes. Yeah, that's so, the guy that sits in the back?
1: So yeah, so there's all sorts of different planes, and you know, combat system operator breaks up into a bunch of different jobs. You have weapon system operator or electronic warfare operator. Um, basically, for, say, bombers, you have uh, your combat system operators are the ones that are putting the bombs on target. For your F-15E Strike Eagle, they're gonna be the guy in the back seat that's putting bombs on target. Um, For electronic warfare, they're gonna be ones managing the electronic warfare systems. So CSO, CISO, combat system operator, what do you wanna call it? Uh, Basically, they're the ones in charge of some of the more complicated weapon systems.
0: Gotcha. And you said you had four choices. One was obviously a man-pilot, second was the uh, combat systems officer, and then third was drone. And what was fourth?
1: So the fourth one is, uh, it's called an air battle manager. Um, It's basically Air Force's air traffic control in the back of an AWACS. Okay. So that's the E3 sentry. It's the plane with the big radar dome on top. And, you know, they'll actually be in the fight with all the fighters and everything. And they're managing the airspace. Cool job, just not for me. I don't think so. That's why it was. It was. A I just think I would list. enjoy that
0: more than being a drone pilot. To be honest, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I got some friends that have now gone on commissioned as lieutenants, and you know, they've offered a very unique perspective into the drone community. It's actually a really cool community. Um, I think having, for me personally, drone would be more enjoyable than that. That's just my personal preference though
0: you think in the future we're going to continue to have fighter pilots when we have drones that are almost capable of doing the same missions they're can withstand a lot more so this so is they don't get tired this
1: is a interesting topic and you know i think in the future we'll probably see the cock the, the pilot out of the cockpit for fighters uh, but i really don't know um you know there's a lot of expertise that A pilot in the seat can offer as compared to you know being in a pod thousands of miles away or just fully autonomous which fully autonomous i think we got a long way to go too i think so too yeah
0: but i i just think about especially military wise you know you have no risk of loss of life right you
1: know you just lose a lot of money but yeah and that's one of the things i think why they're really going for it is you don't have the loss of life and you don't have the human factor limiting some things like g's you know right. you have planes that can pull more than nine g's but, but if there's a human can't, that, that can't pull more than nine g's and they're just going to black out then that's a limiting factor so i think that's one of the the reasons i'm really looking into that for
0: yeah i can see it and then also you know it's not like the airlines where you don't have 200 passengers in the back seat or the, in the back of the airplane right so if you're going to have if, if the idea is to eliminate risk of loss of life i don't think taking a pilot of an airliner makes sense out of a fighter airplane, I think it does because you have one less, you know, there's no passengers. Exactly. Right? There's no loss of life. But there are some things that I'm sure a computer can do and a
1: fighter pilot can do. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that's why it's it's more for the fighters and less so any like transports or anything like that.
0: Yeah. Especially when you have people in the back. That makes sense. What do you think about Top Gun?
1: Did you watch the movie yet? Top Gun, it's a great movie. Uh, It's, you know, there for the Navy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look, it's a cool movie. Um, I think it's a great recruiting tool for, you know, really any of the armed services.
0: I think for the entire industry. Yeah. Like, not just for aviation, you know, naval aviation, but for everyone.
1: Yeah, you know, since it's come out, I have... So I'm currently at my university. I'm actually the um, recruiting group commander there. So I'm in charge of all the new cadets coming in, all the recruiting operations. You know, I've seen a pretty big spike in recruiting in the last month or so i have one friend who i would have never even thought was interested in aviation she's like i want to be a pilot now that's so cool and then (laughs) i got another friend who once a time ago he was looking to join the air force but he never really pulled the trigger um and you know now he's really he's really fighting the I knew
0: I knew when that when that movie came out that that was just going to be a boom for for, sure. for recruitment levels. or the military is probably like yes, finally we're getting some personnel. But um, like I said, I don't think it's only in the military. I think it's also in civil aviation as well. And we've seen it even at our flight school. I think we have a lot more people coming in uh, to you know become a pilot. And I think also another contributing factor of that is obviously the pair races that we have seen recently with the regional carriers. That's going to you know, motivate people to come into the industry, which is a good thing. You know, the demand is there, and we need to fulfill those seats. Um, so it, it definitely helped. It, it helped both ways. It's funny because you, you mentioned the Navy, and I never didn't think about the <laughs> Navy. But, yeah, of course, it is a Naval, naval movie, I guess. If and you think and that's it.
1: what a lot of people really don't know because, I mean, for the general public, they don't know that it's only the Navy and technically the Marines too that are landing on aircraft carriers. A lot of people who are my family, friends, even some family go, well, you ever land on an aircraft carrier? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm in the air force. But see, you're having a bad day if you're landing on the yeah, that's carrier. a bad day. So they see, you know, they see a fighter jet and as far as they know, that's the it's air the force. Same thing. Yeah. So, you know, that's why it's a really good tool. And there's a, a real fun thing the air force did with, um, They had an ad before all the the top guns which was just a really great ad which (laughs) it's like just even boost the recruiting even more so it was really cool i gotta look into that.
0: so you came to our flight school because somewhere along the lines you found out that this would be beneficial for you so for somebody that's starting out today and they say okay i saw top gun i want to be a pilot uh, or they just grew up with that and they want to be a pilot what is it that they should know going through your path right there's a lot of paths to to get to where you are right now um you know you can go to the academies right that's one way you can yep. do rotc yep um and then
1: that's pretty much it no i mean uh, so there's there's can a few do a... there's a few more ways so ROTC and the academy are kind of the most popular ways because the first and foremost thing is you have to be an officer to be a, a pilot in the air, or the air forces or really any of the armed services um, so any of the commissioning sources including the academies RTC or uh, OTS for the Air Force OCS for Navy Marines um, really you just got to be an officer that's so that's the first step you can also apply to either National guard Air National Guard or reserve units which but you, is, you still have to have a four-year degree you do have to have a four-year degree yes yeah. so if you're applying to OTS or any of those units you have to have a four-year degree because to be an officer you have to have a four-year degree So your path was the ROTC
0: way. So you came out of high school and then you went to UCF and you're going to UCF, you're still going to UCF right now. Yep, I'm a senior there now. You're a senior and your major is in? Uh, Real estate business. Real estate and business. So you're going to school just like any other, um, I guess, student of UCF. And then on top of that, you do some extra activities that are required by ROTC.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the the really appealing things of ROTC is, you know, you're a normal college student you just have some extra responsibilities. So I get to do all the normal college student things. I'm not at an academy where it's 24 seven military life. You know, I have my responsibilities on certain days of the week and certain times, but once I'm dismissed from that, it's, you know, I'm a normal You're student. You're a regular college student. And I, I believe it's what, after two years, it's kind of
0: that, that decision point once, once you have to decide whether, okay, I am gonna commit and be part of the military or I'm not gonna commit. Uh, what, what's that decision point?
1: So, th- it depends, is the real answer. Um, and it depends for every different branch. Uh, for Air Force, usually, yes, it's your second year. So, the summer between your sophomore and junior year, you're required to attend uh, field training. It's a congressional requirement for any officer. Um, once you get back from field training, is when you'll be contracted. So, really, you have until you say, you have until you contract to say, no, this isn't for me. You can also be contracted before you get back from field training, and you know, in my case, I was contracted my uh, spring semester of my freshman year because I was awarded a scholarship. So if you're given a scholarship, they're giving you money. They they put you on contract. You're sworn into the reserves, and you know, you you're pretty much with them unless you back out. Then you have to repay your scholarships and all that stuff. Um, But yeah, you essentially have up to that two-year mark.
0: And you didn't do anything military prior to um, ROTC, right? You just kind of came into ROTC?
1: Yeah, no JROTC, no Civil Air Patrol. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Uh, We had our new student orientation day, and they told everyone to go to attention, and I had no idea what that meant at all. And I was just kind of standing there like, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> so no prior experience whatsoever. Do you
0: recommend prior experience? Have you, like, based on your experience, do you see somebody that was through, I don't know, Civil Air Patrol or Air Force, R- uh, JROTC, do you see them kind of have, like, an advantage on the person that comes in from day one, or, like, what do you see? Uh,
1: yes and no. In my case, I think no experience actually helped me because, you know, it made me think you you really got to work for it to catch up to these people Um, in terms of seeing people who have that prior experience. I've seen some people where it's helped them tremendously. And some people where it's, you know, they come in with the attitude that I know everything everything. already and they're not even in the program anymore. So
0: I think, and here's what I think, of course it's my opinion, but somebody that came from CAP or civil air patrol or JRLTC, they, I would assume that they have an understanding that this is what they want to do, right? Like you're not, this is not your first time that somebody tells you to stand at attention when somebody walks into the room, right? You know, right face, left face. You're like, what, what? Do I have to do this all the time? That you know, me. like, that right, exactly. For me, someone that has been in CAP, I think obviously they have, or CAP or Air Force ROTC, they kind of have an advantage just because they kind of been exposed to it already. And I think it would help them on a the decision. I was like, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Am I going to deal with this or I'm not going to be able to put up with this? Because a lot of people don't have that, discipline of understanding okay when somebody walks into the door you're gonna go to attention that's gonna be the rest of your life you know you're gonna have to deal with that forever um and and it's not a surprise like it's not like oh wait a minute this is what i have to deal with to be able to do that so i think in that case it helps but again i can see what you're saying as well that person that comes in with that cocky attitude of i know everything and it's not good i see that in any job field honestly somebody that comes in with already some experience uh it can set them back so i think it really depends on the individual
1: totally yeah it like I said, I've seen people who have that prior experience and know all that before, wildly successful. Some of them are pilot selects with me, you know, they've done great. Um, it's those, in my opinion, it's really those people that come in with that cocky attitude because they have that prior experience and say, oh, I'm better than you because you didn't do this. Uh, they're not even here anymore. You right. know, they dropped a year ago. Good, so.
0: but that's, you know, you don't want that type of attitude anywhere really. So yeah. that's especially in an airplane. So now you're two years in, or more, more, no, you're your first year. So you literally came after your first year and you started getting your, pilot, your private pilot's license because this gives you some type of advantage as far as qualifying, or like what is the, uh, the reason for getting your license while you're in ROTC?
1: Yeah, so it's not as much the license as it is the flight hours. Okay. Um, I wanted to do the license just because that was always a life goal of mine, too. Um, but if you're going to put in the hours, might as well get the license. Might as well. Right. So, I mean, for part 61, the minimum is 40 hours, correct? Mm -hmm. So, you know, in terms of how many hours will you get extra points, um, towards your selection is 41 hours. So, and that's recently they just changed it. Um, so So you need 41 hours. We'll give you the maximum amount of uh, bonus points to your score. And they could be 41 hours of basket weaving, flying around drawing circles in the sky if it's 41 hours in an airplane it's 41 hours 41 hours 41 logged hours is all it's really you look at
0: so nice so 41 hours but you came into our flight school with zero experience and other than the flight sims of course other than the flight sim <laughs> so we'll give you credit for that and then you signed up you were a 141 student when you uh, enrolled with us i believe i
1: think 61 i, I was in
0: 61 i think it was 141 because you you were done very early i should be able to pull it up but I think it was uh, 141. But anyways, either or, how many hours did you get your private with?
1: So I believe it took my checker out at 43.4 hours. Yeah. So it was very quick. I did the whole thing from discovery flight to license in hand, 56 days. So. And that's crazy. Like,
0: the national average is around 60 hours. So to be able to do it in 40 hours... What does it take? What made you, what, what do you think made you so successful to be able to do it in so little time? So there's a few
1: things that I think really helped me out. Um, the first thing was I didn't fly once a week. I flew five days a week, every week until I got my license. And it's like anything, if you practice and practice and practice day in, day out, you're gonna be a lot more successful a lot earlier on. So, you know, anyone who's trying to do this, if you don't wanna do it in 60 hours, Find the time, fly as much as you can because you'll do it a lot quicker that way.
0: I always tell everybody the same thing when they come in and they're like, well, you know, how fast can I do this? Well, it "It depends on you, right? You did it in how much? How how many months did it take you to get it done? 56 days. 56 days. Yeah, so however many months that is, like two months. (laughs) 56 days. That's crazy. 56 days, 40, how many? 43? Yeah, about 43. 43. hours. And what else, I mean, you know the thing I tell people, cause they, they tell me, oh, how many, you know, how often should I fly? I say, well, at least three times a week. Five is great, right? Cause you're, you're doing it every day. But it's not only coming here for two hours, flying around for two hours, listening to an instructor and then going home and forgetting about aviation, right? Yep. What happened when you went home? So
1: I actually, that was a busy summer for me. So I actually would go straight from the plane, straight to work, I'd work my, I don't know, six hour shift and I'd go home and I'd do ground school ground school so that and that's what was important so how many hours do you think you spend on a daily basis just in ground school probably like an hour and a half two hours a night yeah so, so you think sometimes about it, it even more
0: you're putting in almost five hours a day just in aviation right um, one of the things that I really recommend people is not just to go home and you know read the book but look at old videos watch videos if you're if you want to like take a break and relax like go on YouTube and watch every, want some fine videos You'll be surprised when you pick up a little thing here and a little bit thing there. And you might, some things you might pick up are great. Some things you'll be like, they're going to, you know, not be the greatest thing, but that's what your instructor is there for to say, uh, that's not a good idea, but you're always learning, right? It's constant. And I think that's really important. And, and I'm glad that you brought that up because everybody thinks that they just come here for two hours, pay the the airplane and the instructor, and then we're going to make you a pilot. You have to put in the time. And I think that's what, what you did. So you got your license, um, and then you went back to school. And you would come up and fly with us every once in a while, Every right? once in a while, yeah. How was it coming back and say after, you know, you were off probably for, what, like
1: six, seven months before you flew? Yeah, so there would be, you know, periods where I haven't flown in a while. And, you know, I'd come back and want to fly, get recurrent again. And, you know, it's one of those where my friends are like, oh, can I go flying with you, go flying with you? And it's like, well, okay, I have four days of currency left but no you can't go flying with me <laughs> because i'm gonna go up in the 152 and i'm gonna do pattern work for an hour and a half because that's w- what i need right you know you
0: have to be a safe pilot and make a decision and say okay you know what do i need or you might be current for you know you might be legally current but you're not proficient proficient it's in flying that's a big yeah. difference in the word um so that that really is a uh, part of our aeronautical decision making saying okay doesn't make a make sense for me to do this. I'm going to do that. So good, good, good choices there. Let's talk a little bit about your flight training. So, what was uh,
1: the first solo like? So first solo, we were just doing pattern work. Um, Who was your instructor? You were flying with Garrett, no? No, I was with Juan the whole time. Juan, okay. Juan, and actually, I did my ten night landings with you. So with me. I don't remember this. This <laughs> is this was, this was, was very early on. This is when the school had three planes and. It was a a while ago, so... uh, But, yeah, mainly Juan um, and then those 10 landings with you. But basically just doing pattern work, just, like, getting in the groove of things. And, you know, Juan calls for a full stop taxi, taxi back, or, you know, something to get us on the ramp. And then he goes, okay, I'm getting out. Have fun. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. So it was... You know, I kind of expected it to happen soon but I didn't expect it that exact that day I so I was doing the Monday to Friday I was expecting it on a Wednesday and this happened on a Monday so I was expecting two more <laughs> <Welcome> days <back. laughs> yeah so uh, I was a little earlier but the weather was great um, it was it was the right day to do it and you know I I did fine it was a little it was a little crazy like oh my god I'm actually in this thing by myself now. But. Did
0: you think that when you were actually doing it, or did you think about that when you were home and you're like, "Oh my god, I just flew an airplane by myself"? Because I remember when totally I did my after f- the fact, after the fact, totally right? When I fact. went, when I did my first solo, I was the last thing in
1: my mind was scared. I was like, "Okay, now I got to do this. I got to do that, and yeah, I got to do this." Thing in mine, okay, Gumps checklist. Yeah, all right, and- this airspeed. I'm at this point on the runway. Okay, flaps. Did you down hear your instructor
0: and- talking in yeah, the background? Exactly. So, and then you get home and you're like, man. I just, did, I just that. did this. Yeah, I just flew an airplane by myself. <laughs> it was crazy, so it was a great feeling. Well, tell me about the scariest time in an airplane? Like what was your scariest
1: time in an airplane? So this was, I don't know, like my third or fourth flight, maybe, probably even earlier than that, and we were just getting into slow flight. and you know, back to the whole simulator thing. there's certain things you know like, oh, this is kind of what a stall is, but I'd never heard of a spin. Or you know what gets you in one and we're doing slow flight and I almost inadvertently put us in a spin and that was a that was a nerve-wracking moment you know it's funny because everybody's afraid of stalls
0: and not everybody but a lot of people are afraid of stalls and I don't know why I think we put such an emphasis on them and even the word sounds bad, you know, like your engine yeah. stalled or what. You know, it just you think of engine stalling or something, you know, you're stalling, you're not doing something. But stalls are not that bad. Like no. after your training, you no. realize if you let go of the airplane, the airplane recovers by itself. Exactly. There's nothing really crazy about it.
1: Spins are a little bit different. Spins they do are require, different. Spins are a little bit scarier, especially when you're low, I mean, obviously. Um, but stalls aren't that bad. It's one thing I was like, oh, we're doing stalls. This is going to be really interesting. And then we noticed... went up and did one, and I was like, Oh, that was it yeah so and then you know i that that was in the cessna 152 i just got checked out in the diamond da 20. you could barely even tell it was stalling it was like <laughs> oh okay that's it like really so yeah that's really cool about the, the diamonds did you
0: who'd you fly with the diamond checkout? oh
1: i don't remember
0: did you uh go to stick all the way back and just kept the airplane in the stall did Pretty you try much to yeah
1: it was that plane was actually a
0: little hard yeah so it's i like to demonstrate that because the nice thing about the diamond is you literally can like if you're coordinated you can keep the stick back all the way back and then the airplane just starts to shake and she'll shake and shake and shake and shake and shake and shake and then she'll start falling like you know maybe about two thousand feet per minute but it doesn't necessarily break like the cessna's doing it doesn't go the nose nose comes down down and all that so if you're good you can just like what is it they call it the leaf leaf fall i can't remember it is but it just basically shakes all the way down um very different than the Cessna does. 100%. As soon as you release that control and that nose comes down, it that, that wing is flying again.
1: Yeah.
0: Now we're doing spin training now in our DA20s. I don't know if you saw the video on our Instagram. I haven't, so <laughs> I might have to look into that. Yeah, we're doing the the spin training in our DA20s, and um, everybody's really enjoying that. I think it's a good opportunity, especially if you're not going to be an instructor. That's not your goal. Um, that's the only time you'll really be experienced to spin training. It's the only airplane in our fleet that we use for spins. Uh, We don't like to spin our old Cessnas. Nah, I'd imagine not. Um, so we, we always, uh, we, we, we do that in the twenties, but you should look into that video. It's really cool. I have yet to spin it myself. I keep telling Juan, we got to go up and fly. (laughs) Um, but he's having fun doing that. So you got your license and now, um, you continue going back to school at what point did you f- realize like w- what your next step was going to be like so you you're, you know you're close to graduating at what point do they tell you this is what you're going to be doing in the Air Force and this is what you are you know T- tell me about that process this is very new to me I don't I'm not too familiar yeah, with Yeah so
1: it. for ROTC uh, you spend your first two years learning you know military fundamentals leadership skills that's what you know ROTC is really about is developing those leadership skills because you're an officer, whether you're, you're a pilot in a plane by yourself or you're leading a maintenance team of 200 plus people, you're a leader. Uh, so, you know, the first two years are really focusing, are focused on building those skills. Once you go to field training and you get back, uh, that's when you start to focus on, okay, what are you going to do for your career? So one of the first things you do is you get your secret clearance done, uh, which is for all officers in the Air Force. Uh, and then you start to, you know, put your packet together for if you want to be a pilot. So in my case, I had to make sure that I had taken all the tests. You know, every officer has to take the AFOQT, uh, which is the qualification test for an that's officer. That's a fun
0: test I've heard. <sighs> yeah. It's like the SATs it's, of the Air Force, no? Yeah,
1: it's like the SAT, ACT for the Air Force, just more Air Force-y, if that makes sense. Air force Yeah. Okay. It, that's a new word, I guess. Um, It just has some more aeronautical stuff. Obviously, you won't see on an SAT, like how to read an attitude indication, stuff like that. So some more aeronautical geared stuff. Um, You also have to take your TBAS, the Test of Basic Aeronautical Skills. um, And then all of those scores that you get from all those different tests will go together um, into a PICSUM score. PCSM stands for uh, Pilot Candidate Selection Method. Um, and basically, once you have that score, uh, you have the ability to go up and say, hey, I want to be a pilot, here's my score. Um, and you have, to, you have to go on the rated board, which is you know, all the RTC students from that class that year that want that job put in their packet, and this board looks at all these different results, and you know, they select based off of the criteria, the amount of people that they need, uh, so that's when you really start getting into that process. Is that third? So and fourth you were year. one of those packets that got selected. I was one of the 450 that was selected. I think out of like 1,500 this wow. last year.
0: 450 out of 1,500. Yeah.
1: And that's nationwide. That is nationwide. So you're not competing with anyone at your actual school, which is really nice. Because uh, this year our school did really well. We had 11. I think, I think 11 pilot pickups. So we did really well this year. So you guys kind of help each other because you kind of guide each
0: other to get into that, to be able to get at that. Yeah. Stock.
1: I mean, we do so in as much as we can, there's certain things you're not like allowed to do, like the AFQT, uh, previously you weren't allowed to study together. Uh, so obviously like for that, we couldn't help each other, but That's to the extent server. that we can, yeah, we help each other. Like, Hey, like this is what, what test you need to take you know, Oh, you're you're trying to get into flying. Like, you know, this flight school looks like it might be good for you. So we help each other in that sense, for sure. So you're about to graduate and then
0: you've been already selected for that slot. Then what happens now? So you, you graduate, when do you graduate? So
1: I'm supposed to graduate uh, a little less than a year from now in the spring of 23. Uh, So what I'm looking at between now and actually flying, so I got to have my top secret clearance done, and I have to pass uh, flight physical. So if those both go well, all I have to do after that is graduate, I'll commission as a lieutenant, and at that point I'm just um, waiting to enter active duty and get my first assignment.
0: Which would be flight school?
1: Which would be flight school, yeah. And what does flight school take place? like? Uh, so right now there's three bases for undergraduate pilot training. You got uh, Vance Air Force Base in Oklahoma, Laughlin in Texas, and Columbus in Mississippi. So, those all sound like great places. They're in the middle of nowhere, but <laughs> you know it almost makes sense for flight training because these are high performance aircraft, and you know anything goes wrong, you don't want to be somewhere where the ground is a is a factor. So it's funny. I I've
0: flown a lot of cross country not uh, obviously yes cross country with the airlines but cross country low level cross country yeah and that's when you realize how much military activity happens in the united states like all the time you pass like pensacola area central florida out of arizona california i mean there's so much military activity there's a going on i remember once i was bringing an airplane back and i just see a bunch of helicopters like going all over the place they're all military helicopters and i'm like what these what are these guys doing and look at my map and there's no you know there's not a tfr there's no um uh what is it uh, the purple one the uh training camera blanked out on the on yeah, the I'm, chart i'm blanking too <laughs> but the uh you know not the restricted the moa's yeah, uh, military they, operating uh, areas so I wasn't looking around. I'm like, there's no MOA here. Like, what are these guys doing? I just can't imagine what fun they're having, you know? It was close to the border, too, so they might be even doing, like, patrols or whatever. Um, but it's just crazy how much flying happens. In talking about that, you know, I know you mentioned earlier that you got to fly in a KC-135, right? I did, yep. So tell me a little about the KC-135, and I'll tell you a funny story that I found out something the other day.
1: So we got an incentive flight opportunity uh, where... Our rtc detachment was said hey you know we have a kc-135 that's going up it's going to be refueling some bombers we got room for 20 people who wants to go <laughs> so i raised two hands or <laughs> <laughs> i was i saw that email and i was signed up all oh, three minutes later i was <laughs> very quick to jump on it uh it was an amazing experience uh where'd you take off from a mcdill air force base in tampa so that's i think one of the two refueling wings that we have So they have a ton of KC-135s. We took off from there, don't really know where we went, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but I think the KC-135 is an old 707 so you know in the inside it's all stripped down. It's It's an old airplane. It's an old airplane. Yeah. I think the one that we were in was either from the late 60s or early 70s. Yeah they're not new.
0: My instructor, the person that taught me how to fly actually was a commander of a KC-135. And uh, in, in the flight school where I learned, we had a uh, he was the aircraft commander. We had a boom operator that also was an instructor there. And the, op, the airport ops guy who was always hanging out of the flight school was a navigator. So I'm like, hey, guys, we basically have a crew. We can take one of these things up anytime, You know, all we're missing is an F-4. I can swing the gear for you guys. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> but talking about the KC-135, something that I found out recently, I was in Myrtle Beach. And... Uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, I believe that is. A lot of flight training goes on there, I guess, with the military. They're flight training a currency. And there was a kc 135 no, I'm sorry. There was a C-130 in the pattern doing mm-hmm. touch-and-goes. It's kind of funny seeing a, you know, such a big airplane doing touch-and-goes. And then there was a KC-135 that had just landed. Mind you, this is a civilian airport with you know, airline service. And they do some flight training in Cessnas there, too. But I see I'm about to take off and i look and i see a kc-135 with an n number and i'm like hmm a military airplane with an n number that doesn't seem right it's interesting well i wrote down the n number and i got back to the hotel and i looked up the n number and it's a civilian kc-135 that does contract work for the navy oh wow which Maybe. i had no idea that we contracted yeah that we contracted tankers to go refuel our airplanes which is kind of crazy but i never thought of that yeah and i was i was shocked i was oh, really our military with all the amount of kc-135s we have and all the pilots that we have we have to contract that who knows right we, there's so many things yeah, in our military that we have crazy. no idea that that they do but um it, it was very interesting to see that so back to school how long is school what do what you expect it to be in school for
1: uh for college or for flight school for
0: flight school so once you get out of school you go to you go to flight school how long does that usually take
1: yeah, so I think it's about a year for undergrad pilot training. Uh, it's a little longer if you go to your initial flight training or IFT. That's for people who who don't have their license, and they'll actually go out to Colorado um, and fly DA-20s, either DA-20s, DA-20s or DA-40s. It's I wh- think
0: it's DA-20s because our airplanes, our 20s that we have uh, – the way they're registered on our system is as you uh USF, some like day 20 something used last or something so there's somebody that uses them
1: and has, yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty sure it's the 20 but i know it's one of the two uh so they'll go out there for a few months i think they do a f- like 30-ish hours if even that just to get you know people familiar so
0: so there's two routes there's guys that already have a license and they go one way and guys that don't they go another way
1: uh, they both end up going the same way, uh, but those who don't have their license uh, can go to the IFT first before going to UPT. Can
0: or are required to?
1: You know, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's required to.
0: So you don't have to don't do know. that because you already have uh, your pilot's license?
1: Yeah, I, I actually don't have the option to. I 100% would if I could, uh, but the way, you know, my current circumstances are I, I don't have the option to go to it.
0: So that's really interesting because talking with older Air Force pilots, they always like brag about, Oh yeah, we sold with eight hours in a jet in the military. Like, which is you know how you sold on a Cessna one fifty two with yeah, how many hours like did you 13. have? Thirteen Thirteen hours. Did you feel ready? Like you were like hundred percent ready? You never feel hundred percent ready. Not hundred like, percent,
1: but you know Yeah you felt
0: ready but you weren't like you know could and, I
1: could I go get my license now. Can, can i you land it doing, sure yeah
0: can you imagine doing that in a jet yeah no it's, that's
1: but you know what i've heard is they'd spend a lot of time on the simulators before getting you prepared um and well, we talked about, about the simulators but
0: well my instructor was a air force pilot back back then i don't think the simulators back oh then. yeah back, back then back that was a little different it was a box was a, a black box of some instruments and they shake it around to you know simulate that you're flying but it's still crazy that those guys with so little time would jump in an airplane and go fly solo. Like, yeah, well, I can't back imagine. then
1: they, that was a that was an interesting time of aviation. That was a.
0: There's commercial pilots I wouldn't give yeah. a Cessna to. <laughs> yeah, like,
1: what is it a T-38 that they use? Uh, yeah, right now that's the uh, the advanced trainer. So once you go to UPT, you, everyone starts on the T6, which is a uh, turboprop. The turboprop That's a Texan, no Texan. A yeah, Texan two, yeah. So that's what everyone will start on and then you know based on on how you perform there and what route you track so you can either go fighter bomber or you know heavy transport refueler uh, you'll fly different aircraft so if you get fighter bomber you'll end up in the t38 uh, which is the you know the first jet trainer that they use
0: so they don't even they first put you in a turboprop and then they put you in a jet after depending on which route you're going to go in the military. Yeah, depending on your performance. It makes sense. I mean, I you know, to put somebody from zero to boom, here's what it is. Although I've seen sometimes that if you do that and you're only exposed to that, you either crash or you fly, Yeah. and the majority of the people just fly, and they're they like, okay, this is what I have, and this is what I have to deal with. I see that with, like, uh, airplanes with constant speed propellers. Like, if you learn with a constant speed propeller from day one, it's no big deal. And then if you learn without a constant speed propeller, when you get into those airplanes, people are like, oh, my God, three sticks. I don't it's know what lot, to do. Yeah, it's a lot more to manage. It's a lot more to manage. But for somebody that just started, it's like, well, this is all I know. So I've it's always been there. So I just know that it's part of it. I think it kind of helps to have that. But, again,
1: it's a lot more money to fly a jet than yeah. it is to fly a Texan around. And they spend, you know, they spend a lot of time making sure that everyone's ready. They, they don't just throw us and even even the turboprop there's a lot of prep that goes into
0: a lot of ground training
1: yeah a ton that nobody wants to do in
0: flight school (laughs) (laughs)
1: it's very important it's very important
0: there's so much emphasis in that like you learn to fly the airplane on the ground you go practice your skill up there but chair flying chair flying i used to sit in a hot summer inside our 152 because my instructor was like go chair fly so i would sit there in the hot heat just running the checklist just sitting there and like you know, going through the flows, this, here's my thing. Okay, I'm going to fly the pattern. I close my eyes. Okay, I been the numbers, gas, undercarriage, mixture. I did that so many times that when I got on the airplane, it was just like, okay, close my eyes. You know, I didn't have to close my eyes, obviously. You don't want to be closing your eyes when you're flying, but it was already there. I didn't have to look to where the flap handle was because I would reach for the flap handle. You just know where it is. I had the muscle memory. I knew where it was, right? I didn't have to look, oh, where's the flap? Oh, there it is. Because in that time, you know you're a pilot, you, you look down to look for the flaps. You flew two miles, and the airplane is in a 30-degree bank,
1: yeah. right? So that really helps, too. Um, do you have a cockpit layout of any of the airplanes yet? Like- Not yet. So when I graduate, so there's probably going to be about a year or so wait between when I actually start. So that's when I will be on the grind <laughs> doing as much preparation as I can. I'm um, sure it's very competitive to
0: fly those things.
1: Yeah, it, it is very competitive to get a jet slot even at this
0: rate that you already jump so many hoops, you know, you just got to keep, keep going. The grind never stops. The grind never Never stops, stops, right. But. So then once you graduate from pilot school, you're already assigned an airplane. That's your job in the military at that point. Like,
1: there's no like, oh, we changed our minds. We're going to put you through like bomber school or like. So really the only thing, as far as I know, that would influence that. So once you graduate uh, UPT, um, you drop an airframe. And Then you'll go on to the next school to learn whatever they have for you next on that airframe The only thing that would change that as as far as I'm aware is if they're getting rid of that airframe or if you have a medical change or If you do something really dumb (laughs) so As far as I know, that's really the only thing that would change that
0: talk to me about call signs How do you get a call sign in the uh, Air
1: Force so call signs? You know, everyone sees Top Gun and Mad, you know, all these different movies. And they're like, they're so cool. I want a cool top sign.
0: Nobody gets a cool call sign.
1: Top signs are a h- tool used to humble pilots, and they're usually an insult or an acronym that is, you know, meant to humble you. Because at, at the end of the day, you're still a pilot, you can still mess up. And, you know, if we have to humble you for doing something dumb, sometimes a call sign is a good way to do it. I have cracked
0: up in the airplane flying through Pensacola area with ADS-B you can actually see the call sign that they have on these airplanes. And I'll see if I can put it up on the on the podcast here on the video but you see the call signs that they give the guys when they're flying around and they're training they're all trainers so I, and I just crack up because I know that those call signs have a meaning behind it and something must have somebody must have done something dumb
1: that they earned that call sign it's not a cool like you know call sign yep there's a there's a story i know from a, a different podcast i heard one time guys call call sign name was buck and that's because he hit a like a 12 point buck <laughs> with the, the plane while he landed you know nothing that you can avoid because obviously you right, can't see the deer but it happened and that was the story for it so for the rest of his life so, he's gonna carry buck buck yeah <laughs> so it's it's not something you choose. It's not something you have a say in. And if it is something you try to have a say in, it and then usually we'll give you something even worse. So
0: at what point are you like baptized with that call sign that they print your tag and then your tag says like, you know,
1: buck. So <laughs> I've heard different things. I obviously I'm not in a unit or anything yet, but I heard it can really change actually from unit to unit. So you may not be Uh-oh. baptized with one call sign your whole life.
0: Oh, so it changes sometimes. From- yeah.
1: So, I mean, if you go from one unit to another and they find a reason to give you another call sign, sometimes you can get another one, As you know, to my knowledge. We'll hopefully find out in a few years here. We'll let you know.
0: I'm curious to see what your call sign is going <laughs> to oh, be. Oh, I am too.
1: <laughs> I am too.
0: Yeah, no, I think I find that always so interesting. And I, I really hope I can show you guys because the stuff that you see flying around there, I'm like, oh. I wonder, I have a feeling I know what you did to earn that cost. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so you're, you're almost there, man. Like I, I am so happy for you. I'm so happy that you came through here and, and you did it so successfully. I we use you as an example all the time when people tell me, Oh, but can it really be done in 40 hours? And, and the answer is yes. It yes. really depends on the person and depends on your commitment. Um, there, there's still the possibility of being able to do a private pilot in 40 hours. And you were an example of that 43 hours okay you know three hours more one of them wasn't a check right so yeah the three
1: hours was just because i needed like more solo time to satisfy the requirements right so so i'm sure you would have been able to do it with less but
0: 40 hours 43 i'll be very happy with that kind of it was it was great (laughs) (laughs) not a lot of people can say that in today's today's world but Again, I think it was because you were you had a mission and you were out to get it and you and that's what you did.
1: So I'm glad that you were able to do that. Good teaching too, so that helped.
0: One yeah. <laughs> screamed a lot. One was a great instructor. <laughs> <laughs> he was great. Uh, you know, I think it really matters too if your instructor cares. Yeah, and that's one sure. of the things that we look at here. You not only have to be a good pilot to be an instructor here, but you also have to care, because. We want to talk about stories like this, not oh yeah, we built him hundred hours. No, yeah. we want to brag
1: about the guy that got it with 43 hours. And there's there's been a f- so I've flown with I think four instructors ever, two of them here, two of them not here. The other two, I mean, it's very important who you pick, because those other two I, I know for a fact that I would not have been able to do it in 43 hours because it was a clash of personalities. It wasn't it wasn't great, but you know here I was lucky to find. Uh, you know, I did great with Juan, uh, the instructor I, I did my biennial with was great. Um, so I was fortunate to find that.
0: Yeah. Again, I think it's really important who you pick and the place that you pick and that they care for what you are, what your goals are, not just for their personal uh, gains. For sure. And I I tell my instructors too, it's like, look, I know you want to be an airline pilot. I know you want to get 1500 hours. But when you're here for those 1,500 hours, you better give the best that you can because one day you were there and you wanted to have the best that you could have. So that's what we expect from them. And I think you were a, an outcome of that. So, well, I'm very happy to see you fly a military aircraft at some point, hopefully in a seat. Um, I prefer you flying than being in a drone.
1: <laughs> that's, uh, that's the goal.
0: And are you planning – so before we close here, I, I – do you get to pick your your unit? Like, do you get to bid like on like what unit you want to fly with? So, or?
1: once you have your airframe, I'm not really sure if you get to pick where you go. Um, you do get to put preference and preference in for what airframe you do want, but it's only preference. And, you know, nothing's really guaranteed. Um, you can kind of gauge it a little bit if you get the plane you're looking for, depending on what plane you get, uh, because there's only certain planes at certain bases. For example if you if you somehow get the b2 stealth bomber well you you know you're going Mm -hmm. to whiteman because that's the only Only base that has has b2s so that's kind of as far as i know the only way to really gauge it would you want to be in homestead so homestead in the future maybe but homestead is a reserve unit and i i can't go reserve yet okay so that'll be like a retirement thing yeah so we since we have to commission active duty there's there's no real way I think I could end up at Homestead Uh, but in the future you know once I'm hitting close to that 20 years and retirement's (laughs) looking real sweet maybe you're gonna uh, be a you're gonna be a captain for the rest of your life or you're gonna We'll 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 see (laughs) we'll go as far as they put me you know that's the goal right now I'm looking at wanting to do like 20 years
0: Okay, so you're long term.
1: Yeah, we're required as pilots to do ten after the completion of pilot training, Um, but it's my dream job. You know, I'll I'll do it until they tell me not to. So cool.
0: Well, that's the
1: goal. I can't wait to see you flying one of those jets. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you for having me.
0: Good luck again, and. Like I said, I can't wait to see that. I want that photo back. I will, I will keep you all posted. I want the first solo, the first solo, the second first solo again. I will keep you all posted for sure. Awesome. Thanks for coming. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For more of our content, search on YouTube for Aviator Zone. If you know someone we should have on the show, please reach out at podcast at aviator.zone.